Good afternoon and welcome to the Department of Building Inspections Brown Bag Lunch. Uh, we do this every third Thursday here at the Department of Building Inspection. We have uh, an interesting topic today about preventative home maintenance. And we'll talk about what that means a little bit. Um, I have two great guests, extremely knowledgeable folks. Anthony Wong, who's a contractor here in the city. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. And Dan Pelsinger with Matter Rosie Pelsinger Builders. Uh, also a contractor, and both of these uh, gentlemen do a lot of uh, small, medium, and some, I guess you guys do some large size jobs as well, um, but also have maintenance and home prevention, uh, damage prevention and maintenance issues built into the work they do. Uh, in fact, I know Dan uh, Pelsinger brought along a list of maintenance checklists that they actually use in their business. To help, what you, to help people. So what do you use that maintenance checklist for, Dan? For every project that we finish, we, we sign a service agreement or we offer a service maintenance uh, agreement. Uh, and then when we go back to the house uh, a year later, we go through this checklist and we go through the whole thing to make sure that everything's being maintained, that, uh, uh, well, it's a, it's a very detailed checklist, but every house in San Francisco needs to be maintained. And you'll, you can see through Lawrence's slides, what happens if you don't maintain them. That's right. In my experience, often people do wonderful design work and excellent construction, but stop at that point when the construction is finished and think they're done. But that's not the case. You have to maintain it. You have to have a program first to evaluate it. Is this what we wanted? Pick up the stuff that's not quite right. You thought it was okay, but it's not. So we have to do post-construction evaluation, and then we have to have a maintenance program. You've got to maintain them. Houses do not maintain themselves. And much of the work that we see coming in uh, for small permit work in the Department of Building Inspection are things that are related to maintenance. People want to rebuild a deck, or they need to um, fix the bathroom and put new, new, you know, new materials and tile and so on. And a lot of that work is work that could be uh, extend the life of what you have if it had been properly maintained. Not to say we don't like you to do work in your homes. We think it's a good thing, but no, maintenance will extend the life and reduce the long-term costs of home repair. I have some slides here, so let's take a quick peek here. And we're looking at the outside of buildings first, and we'll look at the inside of buildings next. But outside of buildings are typical maintenance issues, a whole plethora of maintenance issues, you know, the siding, the windows, the doors, the stairs, the sidewalk, the landscape. So let's just look at a couple different kinds of buildings and the typical problems that they might have. So for example, here's a building with vinyl siding. What kind of maintenance do we need with the vinyl siding? We've got to wash the thing, that's for darn sure. What do you think? It's got to be washed, it's got to be caulked, it's got to be checked to make sure that water is not getting behind the siding. Now, caulking is not a replacement for good flashing. Caulking is sort of a, an interim waterproofing material that has to be maintained. If somebody says, oh, we have a leak, let's caulk it, what that means is we've got a temporary solution that's going to leak some more unless you maintain that caulking constantly. The way that leaks are prevented, and by the way, leaks and water intrusion are pretty much the number one problem in buildings. That's my experience. Is that what you see as well? Yes. The way to really prevent that is through proper flashing, typically metal, and then counter flashing over the top, complex flashing solutions. Um, we were talking about washing buildings, by the way, and every uh, year or two, 
it is really a good idea for you to put a ladder up on your long weekend and um, get a bucket of soapy water and a big long-handled mop or brush and get up there and scrub it and hose it off. You don't need a pressure blaster. You don't need to you know, do anything more than just wash it off and hose it down. This is my experience. What do you think, gentlemen? It's really important, and also when you do the water testing, you want to make sure that you test around the windows make, and then go back inside to see if there's any dampness around the sheetrock to see if there are areas that you need to do additional flashing or caulking, right. which, is, again, is a temporary measure, but that's a good time to check to make sure uh, that your windows are, are waterproof. So don't be overly aggressive about water testing. If you take a hose and you squirt it at something, you'll, water will go in, you know, underneath the windows and up. But when you wash it off and hose it down gently and carefully, this gives you a chance to look for problems as well. Anthony? Yeah. That's true. The main thing is wash around all the windows. The water will be full inside your house, right. siding. Yeah. So don't be overly aggressive with your hose. You'll definitely, if you go up to a window with a hose and start squirting it, It'll go. It'll get wet. It'll get water. Okay, yeah. so, so let's look at another style of house. Here's one that's a wood siding with stucco in this pattern of uh, masonry, and then a solid wood garage door. How do we maintain wood siding? Wood siding needs to be painted. It needs to be maintained. If it's a clear finish, and you there, there's some shingles and siding that you can let go gray, uh, in that instance, you're really depending on all the flashing to do your waterproofing. By the way, stucco, people say, oh, I got stucco, like this blue area of the house. Stucco is uh, taking care of the waterproofing. Stucco is not a waterproof material. Always crack. Stucco. stucco always, always cracks. Crack, yeah. Stucco cracks. And in fact, unless you put a waterproofing membrane on top of it, which is paint or something, you, when it gets wet, water's going to pass right through the stucco. And what happens when it passes through the stucco or gets behind your wood siding? What happens then? A few things happen. First, you get wood rot from the, the sheathing underneath. But secondly, something really important in our earthquake-prone areas is that you can rust the fasteners, the lath, the nails, the nails that are holding the sheathing, and other types of metal fasteners, which are always underneath the stucco or the siding. Those rust, and you lose the seismic connection, the shear connections between the sheathing and the framing of the building. And we saw that in the Loma Prieta earthquake, and we see it in other earthquakes, especially in that lower few feet close to the sidewalk where you have a lot of water splash. And so on. we see rusting of connectors, a serious problem and a reason for you to make sure that you are keeping that stucco uh, painted and coated. Do we have to seal the uh, grout and the masonry around brick? Uh, if yeah. you if you don't if you don't seal the brick, then water penetrates through, and you have the same problem as you have with stucco. And most of the dry rot that we come across is either in stucco or brick because the water gets in and gets trapped and can't get back out. Where the wood breathes better, right. so wood gets water gets behind stucco. The worst dry rot is always behind a, a brick or a stucco facade. And brick has a special problem and a special reason for you to make sure that it is waterproof, and that's because it has metal fasteners that keep the brick attached to the building. And if those fasteners rust, the brick is just sitting there, no longer directly secured to the building. And in an earthquake, the whole the brick can fall off. So it's especially important to, to uh, waterproof brick. Here's a building that has shingles. And this is interesting because they go right down to the ground. You should always have a six-inch 
separation between the, the lowest shingle or piece of siding and, and ground contact, and that should, be, that should be a concrete foundation there. So it's probably, there probably is a foundation, but they figured out a way to extend those all the way down to the ground, which is a problem. So the reason you want to have it up from the ground is um, that we have a lot of water splash and a heavy rain, and they're going to get wet, and also that what happens is that water through capillary action and other methods will actually get sucked up through be, uh, behind those shakes and shingles if they go all the way down to the ground. Dan mentioned a topic that I think is really important. It covers not just building maintenance, but generally new buildings and everything, and that's that the building is made of a, of a system of components. And the problem is that not all of these components have the same lifespan. So we build a building, and the lifespan of a building in San Francisco is essentially unlimited. We don't say we expect buildings to last 30 years, then we're going to tear them down a new building and build a new building like they do in Japan and other places. We say once a building is built, uh, we expect that it will be able to be maintained. And once it's 50 years old, it's likely to become a historic resource of some sort. The problem is then that buildings might have shakes and shingles that are good for 30 years, but the paper underneath it might be, you know, have a 10-year or 15-year or 20-year warranty or life expectancy. And the fasteners might only be reasonably good for 15 or 20 years. And the windows might be, have a 20-year warranty and the roof, you know, th this stuff does not align. And we see this especially as a problem on new buildings where we have a new building that, where we have a facade that we expect to be secure for 30 to 40 years before it needs to be re repaired. But underneath it, it has some membrane that's a 20-year membrane. And that's an issue that we're all wrestling with as part of this new kind of green building sustainability uh, overview, is how do we align all of the components so that we have a durable building you can't have a durable building if the stuff that's behind those shakes is not dura as durable as the shakes themselves, basically. One of, one of our big issues right now. Here's a stucco facade with a wood door. Um, it looks like it might even have new vinyl windows. Sort of hard for us to tell from this distance. Well, wherever you have two dissimilar materials coming together, you have an opportunity for a leak. So where stucco uh, butts up to, to brick, or where it butts up to wood, or it butts up to uh, vinyl, or a wood. Those are the areas that you have to be, where two materials come together, that's the area that you really have to maintain, uh, and that's where the leaks happen. That's where cracks occur. There's differential settlement. There's, when, over time, there's, they, the materials pull apart. And that's where you really have to be concerned about maintaining uh, a waterproof seal. So if you look at a picture like this where we see a, the stairs, which are probably terrazzo or concrete, and the, and the building, which is a wood frame building, they separate. They will separate. They are not made of the same materials. The, and that, the reason that we have a gap that will ultimately occur between the stair and the building is they have different rates of expansion and contraction from the sun and just from temperature change. They have differential settlement. In San Francisco, everything's settling a little bit. It doesn't have to be settling a lot, but if it settles, you know, just a quarter of an inch over 10 years, part of it's going to settle more than another part. Um, 
and the inherent materials actually have different properties that allow them to shrink and swell at different, uh, you know, based with, for example, a wood building, when it gets humid, shrinks and swells. Let's look at now. Here's an interesting building because it has three um, different construction types uh, of materials on its finish. It's got this wo uh, brick. What do they call that? Clinker brick? Is that what that's called? Clinker brick, yeah. Yeah, clinker brick where it's sticking out. This is when I was young. I used to climb on buildings and practice my rock climbing skills. So clinker brick buildings. And then above it we have, uh, I think that's shingles. And then above that we have a wood siding. So... Uh, three different types of material makes it a little more challenging even to maintain this building. And we're talking about painting. You've got to maintain your building and paint it. And here's a building that is painted up to the height of their ladder, I think. So uh, I think they'll be finishing soon. I hope, <laughs> if they get a bigger ladder. Get a bigger ladder. I'll loan them my ladder. Okay, so now let's look a little more detailed at exteriors of buildings. An exterior door, it has exterior door hardware. And we can see it needs maintenance. We see pe peeling paint. We see windows that, where the caulking is exposed. Now, typically, do you have to paint over caulking around glazing, around windows? Or is that OK, just as uh, you know, so these windows are glazed? Well, the glazing compound is not, uh, doesn't have any UV protection. So you need to put paint on them to protect them. So we see. Uh, or they'll crack. And we see painting coming off where the windows are no. glazed into the door. So that needs to be painted and maintained as well. I was talking about um, durability. This is a new vinyl window about 10 years ago. It replaced an old wood frame window that was 100 years old. And this 10-year-old window, you can see it is damp inside. And the reason is that the seal between the two sheets of glass, it's a double pane glass, the seal has failed. So you say, oh gee, I'm gonna put two double pane windows in and I'm going to you know, put vinyl windows and save a lot of energy and time and money. Well, it turns out it's actually, in many cases, more expensive because the cycle of replacing dual glazing, you have to pull this one out now and replace it again. The overall life cycle cost, when you look at the life cycle of the building, is quite high. It's dual glazing, is getting better, but we still see a lot of failures of seals in glazing. Do you, do you see that, Anthony, you see that? Yeah. Here, looking up close, you can see, and that moisture in there is not going away, right? What do you have to do to fix this? You need to take out to reseal it. Take it out, yeah. reseal it? Yeah, I still keep on leaking. Yeah, so uh, take it out, either reseal it or replace the... Uh, yeah. And here also along the same lines, uh, Dan mentioned that uh, UV resistance issues, you know, sunlight degrades a lot of materials. It's probably not going to degrade the brick, but it's certainly going to degrade caulking and paint, and it's certainly going to degrade the vinyl on the sides of windows. And um, as this is once again part of this durability conundrum, how long is this vinyl going to last that uh, supports this new window assembly. And what do we do to maintain that? I brought along some Armorall. Armorall has a UV resistant uh, compound in it. 
So I think as part of your home maintenance, if you have exposed vinyl, you should think about maybe not arm roll, but some material that provides additional UV resistance so that you can make that plastic last longer. I see a lot of vinyl where it starts to crack after five, ten years. Here's an old wood window. Here's one that's, you know, this building, I believe, was built in the 1910 era. And here's an old wood window. Great. That is a great window. You just have to maintain it. You don't have to take it out and replace it. If you have, uh, if it leaks, what do you do? When you get drafts, what do you do, gentlemen? Reglazing around the window. Yeah. You take the window out. You can reglaze, put new glass in it, but you don't take the whole thing and throw it away. There's no need. But I see that happening all over the city. No, just take them out, take it to a glazing shop, have them reglaze it, reputty it, clean up the frame, tighten it up and put it back in. It's a green building practice, too, rather than requiring you to, um, to take this 100-year-old functioning thing and throw it away and put in some temporary you know, vinyl-clad thing that's going to last 10 or 20 years if you're lucky and have to throw that away again. Now, it's possible, by the way, to take these windows and increase the depth of the rabbit and put the thin double glaze in there. I've heard of people doing that. I've never actually seen it done, but I hear it's possible. Have you ever seen that done? Where people put dual glazing in an existing... Uh, oh, we do it all the time. And we try to... The, the positive is that you cut down noise, uh, but you can do the same thing with a laminate window, and you, you cut down energy loss. Uh, the problem is, like you said, in, in, unless it's a good window system, the, the seal will eventually fail. And then you've got another problem on, the, on your hands, right. which is an unsightly fogging of the window. So in many cases, just leaving it this way, just make sure this, the glazing is properly uh, sealed and weather stripped. And if you have noise or you're worried about temperature, put in some heavy curtains on the inside you can close. That's a wonderfully cheap, easy, reasonable green solution. Green, very green. Very green. Exterior decks. Um, require maintenance, just like every other part. Uh, these decks and stairs need to be maintained, and one of the things you have to do to maintain them is clean the space between the boards. And this should be done you know, every once a year or every season. So if you fail to do that, water starts to get soaked up in all the debris that accumulates between the boards, and then it starts to rot in between there. So you have to keep that clean. Once again, that's a simple homeowner thing. You get a little saw blade or or a pressure washer, or just a saw blade is what I use. You just get down on your hands and knees and spend an hour and you get it all cleaned out. It's not a big deal. And if you fail to do that, you will be replacing your deck. One thing about uh, stairs, and, and really you have to, if you're rebuilding a set of stairs, exterior stairs, what we try to do now is if it doesn't have to be a usable space underneath, in other words, if it could just be an exterior storage, you can, side, you can build the stairs and shim them off a finished siding on the inside so you're not like the situation that, I don't know if you've shown them already, the terrazzo stairs, with, but you can build exterior stairs so you allow water to pass through. Great. You can have it drain out. Uh, obviously, if you have stairs over a living space, you have to waterproof the stairs, but a lot of energy is being spent trying to make exterior stairs waterproof when you can just let the water uh, flow through, and that's some of the stairs that you're showing are good examples of those. Yeah, I think we have another terrazzo shot in a minute. So here's somebody's exterior deck and stairs, which they've been 
you can see gradually replacing the pieces. So there's one post and a, a couple of rails been replaced. I want to point out, by the way, that the spacing between the guardrails on the stack, or guards as they're now called in the code, are pretty wide and don't meet the modern codes, which say four-inch maximum space between guards. And it's easy to accomplish that without building a giant new stair and deck by using uh, some kinds of fencing, whether it's metal fencing, which you can buy at any hardware store, or plastic uh, fencing. Just put it up. And uh, over the years, uh, rent renters and building owners have been held responsible to meet the standards of today's safety, especially for decks and stairs. So for those of you who have rental units, I encourage you to upgrade your stairs and your spacing so that you have good handrails and spacing where people can't slip through because that's, an, well, it's not in the code as a retroactive requirement. It's, it comes up from the results of lawsuits and so on that that is really the expectation of a building owner. Okay, here's one of those terrazzo stairs we're talking about. Uh, Dan was talking about uh, terrazzo meeting the wood frame building. Well, they expand and contract, and they settle and so on, and they always leak. I suppose you could build it so it doesn't leak with the right kinds of flashing, don't you think? It would be a real challenge. Well, the way to do that is to put the terrazzo stairs in next and have uh, reglets going around that, that, that cover that for the stucco, so the stucco goes down to a reglet on top. But basically, the situations that we come across are ones where the terrazzo is dying into the stucco and, and there's caulk eventually is being used to, to keep it waterproof. Just like this one. Yeah. And what happens, the water gets in that. That's a wood frame wall. The water will get into that wood frame wall and run down and start to rot the, the uh, material inside the wall. So that needs to be caulked, cleaned very well and caulked every year uh, until the owner gets it together to properly, uh, if, if ever, to knock out the stucco and you know, put proper flashing there. That would be a huge job. So just maintenance by caulking is what you have to do. Uh, the other thing, I'm sorry, Anthony. The other situation that we find with a stucco terrazzo wall is if you can go ahead and underneath the stairs or on the other side of the wall is vented. Because if you vent it and water gets in, the water will eventually dry and it won't rot. Uh -huh, Venting here. is critical for uh, that, the terrazzo situation. Exactly. So here's one type of vent. We have a lot of vents. We're going to show some pictures. I and mean, this is a little aluminum vent. There's some real benefits to using aluminum. It doesn't rust for the biggest benefit. Um, and it doesn't need any long-term maintenance. And we're looking at long-term, you know, 20, 30, 40 years when we're doing this sort of work. The advantage to vents is water can get in, but it won't do the damage. If there's no ventilation, that's when dry rot starts, and that's when that wall starts to fall apart. But if you have it vented and a little water gets in, the water will be able to dry up, and it won't, uh, dry rot won't grow. So how hard is it for you as a homeowner to install these vents? You get a four-inch drill that you can buy at any hardware store. It's not a big deal. You drill a hole, caulk it, and stick it in, and that's that's it. You're done. That's all it takes. And you do this on the inside. If you can do it on the inside, you don't have caulking issues. This has a few uh, other attributes I just want to point out. One is that it has very narrow spaces, so insects can't get in. And we're going to look in a second at holes in the building, which is a serious problem where both water and insects get into buildings. And the building code says maximum spacing is quarter inch, I believe, where you have mesh covering a, uh, a hole. 
This is good. Here's another set of steps dying into a wood wall. That wood wall is covered with vinyl. The vinyl hides any damage to the wood, which is a serious problem with vinyl siding, by the way. You don't know what's underneath it. You can't see what's under it. It's all hidden. And here's somebody's handrail, a pipe rail. Some serious maintenance due on that uh, uh, piece of painted lumber there. Here's a brand new building um, looking at the same problem. It is not flashed. And by the way, it doesn't have any handrails yet. It's still under construction, I think. But, uh, you know, people are building new problems in by not having the flashing done, as we're talking about. Let's talk just for a second about exterior mold and mildew while we're talking about home maintenance and preventing long-term problems. Here's mold and mildew issues on an exterior handrail and a siding. What do we do to take care of this? Well, it's not an issue. The, the areas that you have to be careful about are on the tend to be on the north and the northeast side of the houses where they're, they're just, you're not getting any sunshine. If you're on the, on the south or west side of the house, and, and if it's a very well exposed east side, you're not going to have the problem either. But on the north side of the house, you have to be careful when, this, uh, when mold starts creating. And basically, it's, it's a maintenance problem. You have to scrub it. You have to power wash it off, scrub it, clean it. But that's basically what you need to do. You, you have can, to maintain get... the, the, the north side of your house. So what do you use to remove mold and mildew? One thing is bleach. People say bleach kills mildew. Um, also, when you paint and when this gets repainted, there's a very simple additive you can get at the paint store, that the mildew side, uh, that prevents the development of mildew in, your, in the area wherever you paint. So have you, do you use mildew side in the paint store? No, we mix it in with a primer. Mm -hmm. Mixing the primer. It's basically good for the bathroom. Especially good for bathrooms. Okay, good. Um, we're going to look a little more at inside bathrooms. But, yeah, scrubbing it off, definitely. Here's a hinge, an exterior hinge. It looks like it is rusting in certain areas of the hinge which are not designed for you know, weather exposure. Um, exterior metal is a serious, serious problem. And here's a hinge which is solid stainless steel. So stainless steel or brass or bronze or, you know, other similar materials which are designed to be exposed to weather are what you have to use for exterior. If you use uh, anything that has just galvanized or other, it will hot dip unless it's, thank you, unless it's hot, hot dip galvanized, it will rust. People say, oh, it's galvanized, but it's what they call electroplated galvanized, real thin galvanization. Maybe it lasts for, you know. <laughs> So uh, for exterior use, it's almost always worth the extra cost to use, you know, stainless steel, bronze, brass, or certainly hot dip galvanized at the lowest cost, and not under any circumstances use an interior hardware on the outside of a building. It just won't last at all, and you'll be back there. And the, you see that all the time. And the cost, people say, oh, I'm going to save some money by using cheap paint or cheap hardware or cheap something. The cost is not in the material. The cost is not in the paint. The cost is not in the hardware. The cost is in the time, the prep, the installation, and all that work. So I always say buy the best equipment, buy the best hardware, buy the best paint you can. The paint is cheap compared with the cost of the painting job, don't you think? Yeah, especially when you're caulking the outside, don't buy the cheap caulking. Buy the expensive one, Right. the polyurethane. Talking. 
Another common problem which homeowners can deal with, uh, this is a little flower bed. It goes right up to the siding of the building, to the stucco, and so as they water it, unless there is a very clear water-protective membrane between that little flower box and the siding, every time they water it, they're going to water the inside of their wall. So it must be water In fact, the building code specifically requires that to have a water-protective membrane or be physically separated from the building. Could you explain again how you would uh, properly flash the, uh, on, on a terrazzo stair with a stucco, side, uh, stucco wall? If you're rebuilding the stair, if you're, if you're starting from scratch and you're going to put the stairs in, you want to put the stairs in first. And that you have two options. One is to put the stairs in first and run a, a reglet around the stairs that the stucco comes down to. What's a reglet? A reglet is, a, is an L-shaped piece of metal that you're waterproofing for, from the, for the stucco that goes behind the stucco goes on top of. So it's a piece of flashing. And that follows, they, they'll make it that follows the curves and the, the whole uh, edge of the, of the terrazzo stairs. And so you can put that on there. The stucco paper comes down there. And then you, you, you would stucco on top of that after. And then you have a little cock joint that is just something you have to maintain. It's not critical. That goes between the reglet and the, um, the reglet in the terrazzo stair. That'll keep the stucco from cracking. Here's an example of why we need to maintain a distance clearance between the ground and the siding. You can see this wood siding goes right down to the, to the concrete sidewalk and it's rotting at the very bottom and that rot is just going to run right up through the, through the wood and into the framing behind. And once again, now this is interesting. Those are wood stairs in a wood structure. Much better. Uh, solution. They're not. Gonna, they're also protected because they're inside, so they're not going to have as much of a problem. But they still have a joint there, which is a leak problem that has to be caulked. Uh, this is sort of an interesting uh, exercise. As you walk down the street, I want you to look at the buildings carefully and see if you can see the space between the buildings in San Francisco. And here we have a space that's about three quarters of an inch or an inch, or you know something like that. And almost always, um, the spaces, the, the buildings are flashed across the top. So you do a roof, and your neighbor does a roof, and you put a piece of flashing between the building. And that keeps water out of that space between the buildings. If they are not properly flashed and maintained flashed, water gets down there in the, between the buildings, and it's extremely difficult to repair or dry rot inside that space. You have to take the inside wall out to get to it, basically. We also see a couple of other things happening here. We see a, a downspout from a drain. And uh, those need to just be checked, make sure they're secure. They usually have very lightweight connectors, so you have to make sure they stay connected. They blow away and get knocked very easily. More drainage. Here's a gutter at the top. People let their gutters fill up with debris. You need to clean the gutter. You need to clean a gutter out. If you're near a, a pine tree, and there's a lot of Monterey pines in San Francisco, the needles can fill up, uh, you'd have to probably twice, uh, at least twice a year. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're, it depends on where you're, how many trees are near your house and, and what kind of leaves they have. So if the gutter fills up, or even just enough to block that little downspout there, that's enough to have the water overflow into some location where you don't want it to be, either underneath in the front or under in the back or something, and cause real serious problems. 
we just had a situation off of uh, Euclid Street in Jor the Jordan Park area of San Francisco where there was a the downspout was blocked up and it just kept it just went over the lip back under the siding and it rotted out the whole corner of the house just for just, be just because of there was a lack of maintenance lack of uh, you know a failure to clean out the gutter I put this in here because terrazzo and you know various kinds of tile work can be so beautiful and San Francisco has so much lovely terrazzo it's not impossible to maintain you just you all you have to do is scrub it and clean it and once every 40 years have somebody come through and uh, you know, polish it and uh, God, it's gorgeous lack of simple maintenance will cause serious problems here's a metal grill metal gate I'm sorry to say we see these all over San Francisco I I'm sorry to say we have to live in a place where people feel it's necessary to lock themselves in and lock people out this is rusting it tells me a couple of things it tells me it was not hot dipped when they made it It was not hot dip galvanized somebody chose to just paint it and the paint is not being maintained and it has it's going to be hard to get in there with a wire brush and scrape this all off and repaint it but that's I guess what you have to do is that what you do wire brush it Anthony what do you think wire brush but just on the top you cannot go in the leaf start from the bottom inside coming out so yeah. it's really a long-term problem. We've there's a house that we built out in the at the Great Highway, and it's got a uh, hot dip galvanized gate. Very well, not similar, but similar material. And out there, out in the sunset, it's it's really even on hot dip galvanized, it's really rough. Mm -hmm. uh, the salt air. So you have to WD-40 the hinges. You have to any all the moving parts, the the lock, the strike. Everything you have to really uh, maintain with oil, a WD-40 is a good example, um, and because they'll just lock up, they'll right. just freeze up from the rust. Dan talks about WD-40. So here's my favorite lubricant. I wish I had a bottle of it here. I go to the bicycle store, and I buy lubricant for bicycle chains and bicycles. It has a much longer life than WD-40. WD-40 is thin. Okay, it's good for soaking into things, but the bicycle lock, uh, bicycle lubricant you will find has a very long life, and uh, I, I, I can't recommend any specific kind, but usually it has a little teeny, uh, tiny little hose thing on the end, and uh, the stuff is great. It's much, much longer life, lasts four or six months before you have to go back and relubricate, and it's good all over the house, too, and it doesn't smell. WD-40 has some serious smell to it, too. I like that smell, Lawrence. Yeah. Some people like it. We can divide the world into the people who like WD-40 smell and the people who don't like it. Here's another uh, problem with rust. And we brought along uh, some interior. This is, this is not the same thing. This is a heat uh, distribution uh, register. But it looks similar to that. And if, unless, when you're using something on the exterior of the building, unless it's hot dip galvanized, or aluminum or stainless or something, it's going to rust and it must be maintained. And so here's a case of that. Take a wire brush, scrub it all down, right? Yeah. And prime it with metal primer and paint it. It's got to be done or it'll just rust right through. Of course, you know, it's probably cheaper to buy a new one. How much does one of these cost? Uh, seven bucks. Seven bucks. So it's probably cheaper to actually buy one than to take two hours to. Not very green, though, Lawrence. Not very green. Right on. Not very green. Here's someone who saved that seven bucks, and they put in an old floor register from a heating system as a underfloor vent. 
And the problem with this, even though it's, ca ca it's cast iron, it's beautiful, but it has spaces that are too big and so insects can get in. Remember, quarter-inch maximum spacing. But it's beautiful. But that can be solved by just putting a, a, uh, screen. a screen on the back. Yeah, okay, good idea. Just put a screen on the back. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a good use of an old piece of equipment. Absolutely. On the bottom of this house, we can see the brick veneer is falling down off, and it could be for any one of a number of reasons. But now what happens, of course, is water is going to run down and run in that crack. Uh, we don't know why, but if it was my house, I would explore why is that? Why did this fall off? What's happening here? Down the side of somebody's house, all these openings here, those openings are to read meters and so on. And they're big enough for, you know, raccoons to get in. These are big holes. Serious problem, water intrusion into this building is a serious problem. A beautifully maintained building, everything about it is beautifully maintained with very high security. We have grills and gates and guards. We have lighting on the front. We have t TV cameras. By the way, this kind of exterior lighting is no longer allowed. In fact, you could, this California Energy Code says that where you have exterior lighting, you can't light up the street and the sky. You have to have lighting that is very limited in its location and high efficacy. That means lots of, watt, lots of lumens per watt. Um, you can't just screw bulbs in and you know, light up the world any longer. This may not be done. As we finish up looking at the outside buildings, I just want to mention it's not just the front of your building, it's your yard, too. This is part of the maintenance of your uh, property. And uh, preventative home maintenance would say, look at your, your fence, make sure that the things are nailed up properly, get some hot dip galvanized nails or screws or something designed for exterior use and screw them on before the thing falls off, right? Fix it before it breaks is the goal. And by the way, look at everybody has a shed. Everybody has a little shed. And the, what the San Francisco Code says is that you, don't, you can have a shed as long as it's not over 100 square feet of projected roof area, that is bird's eye view looking down, 100 square feet. Is that just San Francisco or is that the Uniform Building Code? The California Code says 120 square feet. Okay. Cal uh, San Francisco says 100 square feet. Fire escapes need lots of maintenance and we had a, we had a talk about how to do fire escape maintenance a couple of uh, uh, months ago. Uh, but this requires typically a, a fire escape person to come or a contractor and test it, lubricate it, and maintain it, and it's like a ship. You have to keep it painted and scrubbed and, you know, wire brushed. Um, this is one of those Jomi ladders, right? It's a folding ladder, which we used to approve. We still approve other sorts of temporary folding, drop-down ladders of different sorts. Requires regular maintenance. Dan, you were talking about the maintenance. What do you have to do? Uh, well, this? you just have to check. The, if any of you have a Jomi ladder that you're depending on for egress from your house in, the, in a fire, you really have to go out. You don't want to wait until there's a fire to go to see if it still works because there, there's a lever that you have to pull down, the ladder has to come out, and then and you should, you should check it once a year to make sure that it's still working, that the, the, um, the bolts that are holding on the brackets that support the Jomi ladder haven't rusted out, that the, that the mechanism still works because they're dangerous enough if they're working to, to use in a fire, but if they're not working perfectly, you, you, you pat, there's more of a danger to you falling off your house trying to use one of these ladders than there is probably running through the fire. 
And actually, there aren't that many people who can reach out a window, grab a hold of that thing, and climb down you know, easily. I'm, you know, my mother can't. My wife can't. Maybe, maybe I can. Well, if you, if, you have a, if you're trying to get out with a, a, a toddler or a baby, forget it. There's yeah. no way it would be safe to try to, to do that. So that's, for that reason, we no longer allow people to put Jomi ladders in and say, yes, this is the equivalent of an exit stair, because clearly it's not. And it, and, that, and it was the code for about, what, about 15 years. Right, that's right. So they're all over the place. But fire escapes, fire escapes themselves, are much better. I mean, they actually provide a, a, an actual stair and a handrail and so on until you come to the bottom where you have this vertical ladder. And by there, at that point, we expect that the San Francisco Fire Department will have laddered the bottom of this and, and will help people down. Well, all of those connections, wherever the fire, wherever the, the fire escape is attached to the building, is a is a bolt that if it wasn't a hot tip galvanized bolt, it's something that could rust out. So it's just. You just have to go around and check to make sure that it's secure. So if you own a building with a fire escape, get out on the fire escape, take a close, close look, get right up to it and look at each connection. Is it rusted? Does it look okay? Is it caulked? And either do it yourself or have somebody come do it before it becomes a problem. And here is a wooden ladder. Now, about six months ago, the Board of Supervisors passed a law that said every single wooden ladder on the side of a building like this must be removed in San Francisco. And that followed the terribly unfortunate death of someone who went outside and climbed one of these ladders and the whole thing came off backwards and he fell to the ground and died. They are very dangerous. You must remove these wooden ladders. You cannot use them and I would never, never encourage anyone. I certainly wouldn't climb one of these things. You know, it looks fine but it's painted and who knows what's holding it on. Just a couple old nails or rusted old nails at that? Probably. Or a rusted bolt. Let's talk about roofs for a second. We don't expect homeowners to be able to get up on their roof too often, but sometimes you can get up on your flat roof. What do you have to do to do regular routine home preventative maintenance on roofs? There's a lot of flat roofs in San Francisco, and you can always tell when they're bubble if they're starting to bubble. That's a sign if the gravel's blown away uh, and they're not protect the gravel protects the roofing membrane from the sun. So if there's no gravel, basically the UV is going to be deteriorating your your roofing membrane and it'll start to bubble. Um, all the roof jacks and the roof stacks are, are the first signs of where the, the, the membrane usually fails, so you want to check around those. Attic vents, uh, all those areas you have to check, but anytime there's a, anywhere where there's a penetration through the roof, that's the, those are the areas that you really want to check. And a flat roof like this that's got a coating, a reflective coating, needs to be recoated regularly. If you fail to recoat it, then the UV protection which that coating provides is gone and the roof deteriorates very quickly. It's not just silver paint, it's a special UV resistant roof coating. So typically hire the roofer to come back and do a recoating. If you're really an adventurous homeowner, you can do some research, go to the building supply store, say you want a UV resistive roof coating. It's got to be compatible with the material you already have up there. So hopefully call the old roofer and find out what it was. But it's really a job for the, to call a roofer. Roofs need maintenance just like the rest of the house. Call the roofer, say, uh, can you come over and take a look and give me an idea of what maintenance is appropriate right now. You should do that. If you don't do it, your roof is, the life is shortened appreciably. It costs you a whole lot more. If you hire the roofer for 500 bucks to come and, you know, go over it and fix it all up, that's a good savings rather than spend $5,000 replacing it a couple of years later. 
How often do you repaint it? I don't really know. Uh, Dan, what do you think? The roof coating? If you go up there and, that, and it's not peeling or bubbling, then it's fine. You just, most of those roof coatings are good for five or six years. The roof is good for probably 30 years. But if the ones that have that reflective coating, the coating usually needs to be re, repainted, I'd say every five years. But if you go up there and you see that it's peeling away and you start peeling it and it all comes up, well, then that means that it's time to fix it. If it's solid, it's fine. Here's inside a light well. One of the easy things that you should do as a homeowner is climb out into your light well and clean all that junk, those ducts and those plastic bags and all that stuff. Clean it out. There's a drain down there. This can, this is a endless source of leaks is light wells. Endless source of leaks are all these penetrations. So it must be kept absolutely immaculately clean. Hardwood floors. What do you do as a preventative thing? Here's what you don't do. You don't wash them with water, okay? Do not wash your wood floors with water because water gets down in the cracks between the boards and it makes them you know, warp and it changes and it, water gets underneath the finish and so on. Um, there are special products, but the very worst thing you can do is wash them with water. Dry, dry mop them, wipe them up, okay? Other thoughts, comments? Uh, at most hardware stores, there's a system called a uh, Bona, B-O-N-A. It's a, it comes with a, the mop and a spray liquid right. that we, we recommend for all the, the hardwood installations that we do. Good. One of the things, you know, we all can talk about carpet cleaning. That's pretty straightforward. But one of the things that wall-to-wall -wall carpet can have done to improve its uh, life is have it restretched, have it re you know, if it starts to fold and bubble and so on, it gets stretched over the years, you can have the carpet people come and they can knock it back in and tighten it back up again and restretch the carpet and uh, it will, you'll get more time out of it. Also, uh, the walls and, and the woodwork, I want to mention something and I have this done every few years as I go around the house with a piece of uh, blue tape. And I know Anthony does this, right? And every place where you see a ding or a dent, you take this little piece of blue tape and you mark it on the on the wallboard and you say, okay, it needs a touch-up there. And just walk around the house and figure out where the touch-up goes and have a touch-up paint day or two. And you just do all the touch-up and the house looks so much nicer after you do that. Use the blue tape because it doesn't leave an adhesive residue and it comes off easily, painter's tape. Right? Anthony, you do that touch-up stuff too. Right. It's a very good thing. So you don't want to be walking around with a paint pail saying, gee, I wonder what else needs to be touched up. Right? First go around with the tape, and I go around with the tape, and then I ask my wife to go around with the tape. Right? That works real well. Sometimes we see sash cords on these old uh, wood frame windows. I brought one of these big pig iron weights here with an old sash cord. You've probably seen these things. It's dangerous. It's scary. I mean, if this thing, if the cord breaks, this thing is going to drop. So in one of these little earthquakes, a lot of times in these old San Francisco homes, you hear a huge rattling and great pounding noises. That's mostly these weights banging around in the little box channel, the little wooden boxes there in that amplify the sound. So if you ever wonder why is it so loud in a little earthquake, it's these guys banging around. They're tied on there. It's pretty easy to do to take off the trim and replace the sash cord, but it's not something every homeowner wants to get involved in. And then you have to do touch-up painting and so on. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Anthony, I've seen you do this kind of work, right? It's pretty straightforward if you're ready to do it. But the homeowner might have a hard time making it look good when they're done. What do you think? Yeah, you take out the, the window stop and then change the cord. Take out the stop, <laughs> stop change and the cord. Repaint the cord, yeah. Especially so the roller, too. The roller. Oh, the roller up yeah. the top. There's a, yeah. there's a little roller. Oh, then they paint the, the paint on top. The roller cannot move. So the roller yeah. be painted so it can't move. Yeah. So you've got to yeah. clean that yeah. up, yeah. too. Yeah. And a lot of times you see that they painted the sash cord, too. Yeah. What can you do? Your door hardware, just walk around and, and make sure everything is tight. The knobs are tight. The set screws are tight. They're lubricated. You can polish them up if you want. This is a, a nickel. This particular one, you can polish them up and they look good for, you know, 50 years. Uh, interior door hardware, just lubricate them. Once again, I like that bicycle lubricant rather than WD-40. It lasts longer. Smoke detectors and heat registers. We have a register here. These things come right off. You can back when they're on the floor. Just lift them up, get in there, vacuum them, make sure they're clean. That's a real easy home maintenance thing to do and it reduces the amount of dust that blows around in your house. Smoke detectors, they say every time the time changes, you know, from daylight savings, you want to go around and change the batteries. Um, people say not to use good, the good uh, batteries, what, alkaline batteries. Bathrooms, what can we do in our little toilet compartments and bathrooms for maintenance? You want to inspect the angle stop and the supply line. You want to check the floor bolts. Right. So for toilets, by the way, you know, the toilet seats loosen up sometimes and the whole toilet loosens up. Those are extremely easy things for a homeowner to tighten up. Extremely easy. Just get down there and put on gloves and tighten it up and get up underneath and tighten up the seats. Nothing to it. It takes only a second to do it. One thing is hardware. Often these things will tarnish, you know, this nice expensive hardware. You need to get the silver polish or some other polish and just polish it just like you would polish any other metal so it doesn't tarnish because it's in contact with with uh, all sorts of liquids all day long flooring we have tile flooring has to be maintained scrubbed cleaned showers there's endless problems with showers and mold and mildew so what do you do with showers okay here's my number one solution my friends put in an operable skylight if you're on the top floor of a residential building put a skylight that opens. I'm not kidding you, that's the answer to 90% of these, these bathroom mold and mildew problems. Because then you have a constant flow of air, leave the skylight open. Skylights are cheap, right? Skylights are cheap, ridiculously cheap. And an operable skylight, you know, a two by three foot operable skylight, it'll probably only cost three, four hundred bucks to buy and, you know, that much to install and, of course, more than that to flash the roof. But, you know, they're cheap. And you can leave it open and you will always have air and you will not have moldy mildew build up when you have that much air circulation. Do you have other thoughts on how you, what you do about moldy mildew? Do you have to seal this stuff? Seal well, it? The tile and stone have to be sealed and grout have to be sealed every year. Uh, you know, you, again, you want to use a, a fungicide. Uh, when you're cleaning it, you, you know, when you get a, give it a good cleaning every six months and then when you, you want to seal it once a year. You want to call, if you have a bathtub with, where tiles coming around, you want to really uh, maintain that caulk joint between the tile and the bathtub. For energy consumption, see this shower head has one of those little shutoff valves on it, so that not only does it have a flow restrictor in it, but it has a shutoff so that you don't need the water running all the time. You can shut it off and turn it back on. You don't have to reset the temperature. 
a very cheap and easy thing. Anybody can put it on. Just don't use a, don't use a uh, Stilson plumber's wrench or you'll ruin the finish of the material. Kitchen, appliances. The hood needs to have its uh, screen and filter cleaned. Probably, if you, if you cook a lot, probably once a month. You take it out, stick it in a dishwasher is what I recommend. Yeah, yeah. more easy. Yeah, just take it out. All these, all these hoods have a little screen and filter that filters out the grease-laden vapors, takes the grease, and you can just stick it in the dishwasher. Drawer slides. Once again, every couple of years, take your little squirt thing and just make sure everything's operating right. Fireplaces. We have some fire brick, a little piece of fire brick here. I'll pass it around. What do you do for fireplaces, Dan? Uh, you you want to check to make sure the damper's working and that it's in the shut position when you don't have the fire on so that you're not kind of losing energy to the outside uh, and that it's uh, the, easy to open when you're going to use a fire. Uh, you want to lubricate that to make sure that it, it works properly. You want to make sure that the glass door seals off, so if it's, especially if it's a gas unit, there's no gas leaking into your room. A wood burning, if you have a wood burning fireplace, you should have every summer, uh, or once a year, you should have the, the, your chimney cleaned out because chimney fires is a huge, uh, cause of residential fires. And that's when the, uh, uh, when chimneys aren't cleaned out, they, their, uh, fires start there. So that's really critical that if you're going to use a wood burning fireplace that you continually, once a year, clean it out. People, all can say you should drain your water heater and we have such wonderful clean water here in San Francisco. I haven't seen that to be a big issue here. Have you gentlemen seen a need to take action to clean water heaters and no, not in San Francisco. It's not an issue and this is your emergency water supply in case of an earthquake by the way. So make sure they're strapped like that. Garage doors, once again, get garage door lubricant and just lubricate those things and clean the bottom edges and all, just clean it off and lubricate it. It'll be quiet and it'll last an awful lot longer. Fire extinguishers obviously are a good home maintenance and preventative thing. You have to make sure that they're up to date because they don't... Right. You have, you know, you have to change them every couple of years. And there's a tag on them. And then the earthquake, the last thing I wanted to mention was earthquake uh, safety. When you're doing your home preventative maintenance, preventing damage from earthquake is a big piece of this. And here's someone's valuable piece of uh, ceramic with some of the earthquake uh, uh, goop on the bottom to keep it from sliding off the, t the uh, shelf. There are so many things you can do for earthquake safety that are cheap and easy that any home maintenance person can do, strapping and so on. Okay, preventative maintenance. So you don't, you, there's much you can do yourself. There's also much you can do when you hire a contractor just to come and spend a day or a handyman, spend a day, have a list of stuff. You don't have to do the whole thing. Just do a day's worth of work and you can, you can get an awful lot done. Okay, thank you all very much for coming and we hope to see you uh, next month. Thank you.